What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am continuously excited to keep our team look-ahead train plowing onward. We are up to the Denver Nuggets on our list, and I will be speaking with Adam Mares, the VP of Creative Production at DNVR Sports. He's also co-host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Follow him at Adam underscore Mares. That's at A-D-A-M underscore M-A-R-E-S. He's a great follow. I'm not sure anyone covers the Nuggets specifically better than him. He is awesome. We had a fun conversation, covered a lot of ground in about 45 to, to 50 minutes. Before we get started, though, my usual reminder, my usual plea, continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Downloading every episode really helps us with the charts. Also, those ratings and reviews help us a ton on the charts. Whether you use iTunes or not, we do ask that you take five seconds, 10 seconds out of your day, head over to iTunes, search Hardware Knox, throw us a five-star rating, and write a review. Both of those help us appear further up in the charts, which in turn help us on this podcast in general. This is your first time listening to us because you're a diehard Nuggets fan. You're a loyalist of anyone promoting or creating content at DNVR, or you really just love Adam Ades, or you're here by random. Consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We cover the entire NBA at large in a pleasantly sub-mediocre, modestly insufferable fashion. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow us on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. You can also follow us on YouTube. Search or go to YouTube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. Subscribe to that channel. Now that I've sped through this intro and am sufficiently out of breath, let's get to loads and loads and loads of Denver Nuggets talk with Adam Mades from DNVR and the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Adam, thank you so much for hopping back on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk some Denver Nuggets with me. Before we get started, of course, the most important question that I ask every guest, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. It's good to be on, man. It's good to be talking nugs um, and, and maybe hyping them up a little bit. I'm curious. Your, your questions, I think, uh, you know, there's some good topics. So I'm excited. Yeah. Um, one topic that's probably not so exciting to talk about, though, is it, it does start with Jamal Murray recovering from that ACL injury. Uh, his absence obviously looms large and the timing of it last season is just so bizarre because it happens April 12th, 13th, whatever that day was. And it makes sort of predicting a timeline of whether he'll play this season or not very difficult. Do you have any sense of whether that would be the plan or a realistic ballpark of when we could expect him to return if he does? You know, I've always thought, and just in talking to doctors and, and sports physiologists and this or that, that March, early March is probably the, a, a, a realistic target date. Um, but we don't know. And that it's entirely possible that he's just not back this year, you know, not back to the playoffs. It's possible. Maybe he's a couple weeks ahead of that schedule. Um, but for most people, kind of the consensus central part, uh, that people estimate is somewhere around the first week of March. I do like that. We've gotten away from when it first happened. Everyone was like, it's Jamal Murray. So he's just going to beat the timeline and come back really <laughs> early. It's like, he's, He's like part, he's basically one half, one third of the Nuggets timeline. Uh, right. I doubt they would rush it. How do you see, and I'll put, if people are watching this, I'll put point guard in air quotes, but how do you see like the point guard yeah. rotation shaking out without him? Like who are they relying on more most in that spot this season? 
I gotta think it's Monte Morris. He's the one that's been around the team the longest, has the most familiarity with the starting unit. You know, he's played a lot of minutes with those guys in the playoffs last year. He was the guy that they threw in that starting lineup. Faku was there for a while, but mostly I think because Monte was coming back from injury. And mm-hmm. once the going got tough, they went with Monte in the starting lineup. And I think he's a good fit there. He's not dynamic like Jamal Murray. He's not going to punish teams and, and create something out of nothing in isolation and off of switches. I think that's the thing you look at that say, where do they get weakest going from Murray to Yoke? Well, teams, Denver's very good at punishing teams that try to switch against them, mm-hmm. uh, more so than I think maybe any other team in the NBA. And so now you look at it and say, okay, if a big does get switched out onto Monte Morris, is he cooking them the same way that uh, Jamal Murray would? Probably not. Um, but for everything else, you know, just the continuity, being able to run pick and rolls and dribble handoffs, get them into their sets, chemistry with all of the main players. You know, Monte has that in spades, as well as being an extremely low mistake guy. And I know you know this, but the fewer mistakes you make in the half court when you have Jokic on your team, the more likely you're going to find a good shot within 24 seconds. So um, I, I think Monte will be a very steady and probably a high floor replacement for for Jamal Murray, a lower ceiling replacement, but a high floor replacement for him. Yeah, look, my co-host Adam Frommel thinks that Monte Morris is like the greatest player of all time. So you, you preach to the choir over here. Is there any like sense of are they going to rely on Faku more than Austin Rivers? Because um, because Austin Rivers seemed like he played a fairly important role when he signed with them, but then you look at like just this roster is still so freaking deep, and right. so it feels like someone's going to get squeezed somewhere. And so is there like a a tug of war between those two at all? Well, what I love is, is, first of all, I've never heard anybody pronounce the emphasis on the second syllable, Faku, but I kind of like it. Fa- Faku. His name is I really fun Faku. to say, and I, it's not like I get to say it a ton. So, <laughs> yeah. Faku is actually a much better, it's an improvement on the name. So, I'm going to start calling him Faku. Um, so, I, I, I think that Monte is almost certainly, you know, the starter and, and locked into that role. I'd be a little bit surprised if, if that changed. Um, you know, there'll be injuries, there'll be different things that happen, but the second unit, is really interesting question you didn't ask me about bones highland but i have to get into him here to answer this to answer your question and that is that bones highland denver's rookie has looked outstanding in the summer league and then looked equally as outstanding in in the preseason and typically i would say you know rookies you're not really going to count them you got veteran players you got this or that but i look at bones highland and what he's done I mean, he has not had a he has yet to have a bad game either summer league or preseason and i look at that and i think he provides scoring. He, he's been pretty steady. A little turnover is a little high, and that's probably one of the, the, the things that might keep him on the bench. But uh, he runs the pick and roll incredibly well, very advanced field. And I think if you look at Denver's second unit right now, without Bones, it would be Faku. Uh, it would be Austin, <laughs> Austin Rivers and P.J. Dozier. None of those guys are reliable three-point shooters. They can knock down a shot, but they're not spacing the floor. Nobody's running over top screens to, to keep those guys from launching an off-the-dribble three-pointer. And I look at that and I go, can you win in the NBA? Even with the bench unit, can you win if you don't have that threat, the one, two, or three? And so Bones, who's a very big threat from deep, might replace one of those guys. It's not going to be P.J. Dozier, so let's count him out. He's more of a small forward anyway with the Nuggets configuration. So now you look at Faku and Austin Rivers. I would not be surprised if either right out of the gate or at some point in the early go of the season, one of those guys gets bounced in favor of Bones, both because he might just be better overall, but also because he provides, there's a little bit of a redundancy between those other three that Bones might kind of create a little bit more spacing, a little bit more dynamic playmaking. And uh, yeah, he's he's been fantastic. 
I just, you know, I feel like we're not that far removed from wanting Michael Malone to play Michael Porter Jr. more. And so it's like hard for me to really envision him leaning semi-significantly on a rookie. Do you think that's something that he would actually be open to given how like veteran heavy the rest of the roster is? So we, we joke all the time here at DNVR about there being Malone guys and, and not Malone guys. And Malone guys are tough. They're smart. They are very low mistakes. So they're dialed in so they don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, and then I would say even there's a little bit of there's just like he, Michael Malone was a point guard in college, right? He's a point guard's mind. So guys that maybe favor just seeing the game from a point guard standpoint, Michael Porter is none of those things, right? He's, he's an incredibly talented player, but smart. No, he came in missing a couple of years. He had to catch up. He was behind the curve from a basketball sort of, in, you know, feel for the game intelligence standpoint. Uh, low mistake. Well, Michael Porter's not that easy. Defensively, especially, he makes a lot of mistakes. So I think when you contrast that to Bones, who one of the surprises out of him in the early go in the preseason so far has been how much more of a point guard he is. I think he was thought of as the scorer who comes in is always looking for a shot. Been a great passer, uh, both in summer league and, and, and in preseason. And so I think he's more of a Malone type guy. The mistakes are the one thing, you know, the turnovers, this or that are the one thing that can keep him on the bench. Cause to your point, that is a thing that I think all coaches, but especially Malone look at and say, I just need, I'd rather have somebody I know is not going to make mistakes than somebody that I know is going to make shots. But I think he's low enough mistake that he'll get over that hump pretty, pretty quickly, if not right, right out of the gate. So um, to answer your question shortly, yes, I think that I think that he has a much better chance of getting early minutes than Michael Porter did just because of that low mistake and, and his ability to slot right in. He was a not so guilty pleasure of mine leading into the draft, just watching like his, you know, his shooting, but like he's a contortionist around the rim. So I'm hoping right. he gets minutes. I love, I would love to see that. Did you know real quick? Did you know he was a playmaker? Cause that's the thing. Every, every scouting report I saw said two things. One handle, not very good. Well, that hasn't been accurate. In fact, the nuggets were pulled who has the best handle on the team. They almost all said bones has the best <laughs> handle on the team. So that part of the scouting report was out. And then the other part was, you know, he's a scorer he's a gunner, but, I'm so impressed with how well he reads the court and how willing he is as a passer. Does that part surprise you at all? Yeah, that, that actually floors me. I think it was the handle. And then it was wondering, would he be able to get those tough shots off at the NBA level? Um, Just looking at, I don't know, his, sometimes his mode of operations felt a little slow, but seeing him in in preseason specifically, like that part looks fine, but the playmaking is absolutely a surprise. And so I guess that makes it easier for a lot easier for him to get minutes. If he's actually able to fill that table setting role, Michael Porter Jr.'s role after he Michael Porter Jr. was largely fantastic after Jamal Murray went down. Um, how, just how does his offensive role though change heading into this season a little bit? Because it still felt like he wasn't necessarily operating mm-hmm. a ton on the ball without Murray last year. Is that something we should expect to see him doing more in the half quarters? He's still going to be that guy that's predominantly, I guess the best way for me to describe it is he scores all these points and it just feels like most of them are just coming entirely within the flow of everything yeah. else that's happening around him. So I am sure that he will just get more shots and, you know, there'll, there'll be a little bit more, the, the ball will find him a little bit more, but I'm a bit surprised. He's only played two preseason games at the time of recording this. He, the offense hasn't really looked any different with regards to him. I don't know that they're necessarily running more actions to him. He maybe has a little bit more of a green light to be aggressive once the ball finds him with a natural rhythm. But I think the thing about Michael Porter's game that people probably don't realize just yet is that he's mostly an off ball player meaning he catches the ball off of screens or off of cuts or off of rebounds and he goes up with it and that's part of what makes him so great as a scorer is he he's always ready to shoot 
mm-hmm. but he's not necessarily a guy that you kind of give the ball to a whole lot and just say, make something, you know, dribble it six times, run off a pick and roll, whatever. And so far in the preseason, I thought maybe he would add a little bit of that. I don't know that he's added that or that Denver is interested in having him add that. He's really just more, he took a lot of shots last year. I mean, he scored, I think 24 points per game after Jamal Murray went down. So it wasn't like he was, he was had a shortage of shots, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets two or three more just from, you get to be a little bit more aggressive once you catch the ball attack, one dribble move attack and, and, and get it off one or two times more per game. But honestly, I think his game is more or less what it last year is more or less what it'll be this year. Just hopefully a little bit better. Uh, defensively, it feels like he can be sort of a playmaker there where it's yeah. like, I don't, you don't trust him to defend one-on-one when you're watching him. Like if he's going to make plays a, around the basket or something, do you think that he, there's another level or that there's a, a league average or better defender in there or is sort of those high points last season, like kind of his, his peak. So Michael Porter, I think that his highs will be really high defensively because he's so athletic. He's really light on his feet. Uh, and you know, at six foot 10, six eleven, he covers a lot of ground. So every now and then he comes across the court and makes a block shot that you go, wow, that's a, a Draymond esque rotation or something like that. The problem with him is that, and there's slow progress on this every year, although I think slower than average progress for a player of his skill set. He still doesn't read the court well. He's late to react. He misses assignments. He misses switches or, or doesn't communicate properly. And so the, the, I think the problem with him isn't just what does the average possession look like. It's what does the lower 10 percentile defensive possession look like. And for him, there's a lot of open dunks given up because he just didn't read his rotation in time. And of course, those look the worst. And they also count for the worst. If you give up, you know, 10% of your possessions are a terrible mistake. That, that, that's going to weigh down your average quite a bit. So I, I, progress has been slow. He's much better than he was two years ago. But I still think he's going to be a guy that is a weak link from a do you make mistakes every, you know, every, every so often on the defensive end. I think, I, I think he still does that. I'm sure you've been asked this a ton. Did you have any thoughts about his extension where it felt very much like a no brainer, but there's also just in the back of my mind, at least the the back issues um, that is just such a very substantial investment to go into someone that could have problems staying healthy or still has like a question mark there. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is I've actually spoken with some, um, some sports uh, medical experts, doctors, even surgeons who work on, on backs in particular. And the number one thing I hear about the back issue is that he's not any more likely to re-injure his back, but that his career is likely to be shorter. And Michael Porter himself actually talked about this on the JJ Reddick podcast, where he said, I probably plan on playing just for about 10 years. And after 10 years, I'll probably have to retire because oh, wow. then, then I extend, you know, whatever. So it was the first time I've ever publicly heard him say that. But again, I don't know that it's going to be one of these things where he, we, you should expect back tightness ever so often. Um, it's more just not to further damage it. You probably get a 10 year run before you start to risk things. That being said, his family also has a history of some other injuries. You know, I think his brother had two ACL injuries. I think he's got a couple sisters that have had ACL injuries. I don't know if there's a genetic thing or if you should read into it. Um, he's really, really tall and really, really skinny. So you can imagine there's some torque on those knees that is unique to players like a Giannis, like a Kevin Durant and, and Siakam and those types. But um, I don't really think about the injury more um, than I do for most players who are just sort of athletically unique. What did you think about the Aaron Gordon extension? I was surprised, to speak my part first, at how many people were just like shocked by it. Because I don't know when your team is good as the Nuggets, like that, but you weren't spending that money on someone else. And so the, the reaction to it was a little bit surprising to me. 
the the reaction i think is you always look at contracts in a vacuum right and think oh is he worth this on the open market if there was just a draft or or you know you just paid all the players this joined rosters by by what their market value is it wouldn't make sense but aaron gordon is the perfect was in a perfect spot where denver had their roster in place he was the final piece and the question for the nuggets was not how much is Aaron Gordon worth? It's do you want Aaron Gordon or do you not want Aaron Gordon? And mm-hmm. if you wanted him, you had to pay a little bit of a premium to get him and to keep him. And I think Denver's at a point now where they've saved on money. To be honest, let's be honest with the Cronkies. They haven't gone into the tax for a decade, over a decade. They've saved on money in the past. Maybe it's catching up to them a little bit, but I think they still come out ahead quite a bit in this equation. And uh, yeah, his it's maybe a little bit over overpriced, but when that roster was fully healthy for that glorious 10-day stretch or whatever it was, Aaron Gordon looked absolutely incredible. Andre Iguodala-esque in the way he tied everything together on the defensive end. And then it wasn't that he was dynamic on offense. It's just that he fit into the offense so perfectly that what he provided, athleticism, cutting, rebounding, fit so perfectly. So he's a perfect piece, and sometimes you have to pay a premium for the perfect piece. What is the is, – is there a different path to optimizing him on offense without Jamal Murray into the fold? In the fold, excuse me. Yeah, that's such a great question. And that that was the thing about him last year is he looked great at, right before the playoffs. And I think the playoffs, they just needed something out of him that he wasn't able to give. You know, a little bit. He went back to Orlando where it's like, hey, can you take this guy off the dribble? Or can we post you up? Can you do this? Like, he, he can do that. Every now and then he does something. You're like, ooh, that was, that was gorgeous. But most of, if you just a hundred times he has to post up. Yeah, those numbers aren't going to be great. I think the thing that they've done in the preseason – I actually expected it, but the thing they've done a lot that I'm encouraged by is using him as the entry point. So rather than have him off ball or in the dunker or in the corner where maybe his gravity isn't as strong as, as it can be, have him bring the ball up the court and initiate it. And then he's the first cut. It's not that he's doing anything okay. crazy. You're not running pick and rolls, but you at least make his man have to guard him, you know, bringing the ball up the court and at the entry point. And you create a lot of interesting things off of that. The other thing that Denver's doing now that I think will be interesting to watch is, I mentioned one of the things that makes Denver special offensively is that teams, the best defenses really like to switch. Denver is sort of a switch breaker. And I think when you add Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, and Aaron Gordon in your front court, if you switch any of those things, Aaron Gordon's really strong. So if you get, if you, if you have a, a small undersized three and you, you want to put a, a better defender who's maybe bigger on Michael Porter. Now you have a small, undersized guy guarding Aaron Gordon in the post. Can he post him up? Can he grab rebounds? Uh, and then even just running double pin-down actions with him and Jokic, you generate a lot of guys just switching a bunch of different things. And if Aaron Gordon gets a point guard switched onto him, he should he should be either posted up or more likely just go go rebound. Just get get ready for the rebounding position because you should have an advantage there. And Denver's done a lot of that, using him as the first on double stagger screens that creates a lot of switches for him. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see how he takes advantage of that. His rebound numbers were not great last year. I think this year that's going to be an area where he can really contribute to Denver is just pounding the offensive glass. And uh, he should have a lot of switches that make that easier for him. How do you see sort of that secondary four or five rotation behind Jokic and Gordon shaking out? Is it maybe not, you know, in the outline, I made it out to be an issue because I'm assuming Maybe you want to play MPJ at the four a little bit. You have both right. the greens, Jermichael and Jeff, and then Zeke Najee's in there. This, again, this team is just so deep. And so I'm curious how you see like that sort of secondary front court rotation shaking out. Well, I think you end up throwing out the Zeke Najee, Bull Bull, Vlatko Chanchar trio. Those guys all, you know, if somebody gets injured, I think they're going to step in. But I think you throw out those guys for your regular 10-man rotation, even before Jamal Murray gets healthy. 
I agree with you that I would love to see Michael Porter play a little bit more four, especially in staggered lineups. Maybe you have lineups that have Barton or Dozier at the three and, and Michael Porter at the four. But I think the base for Denver on staggered units is going to be Jeff Green and Jermichael Green as your four or five. And really, it's just two fours. I mean, we, we know how it is with second right. units. Jermichael Green probably guards the bigger of the two players. But um, those two guys in your front court, and I expect them both to play a decent amount of minutes, maybe 20 minutes or so, um, which, which kind of covers most of those minutes. I, I'm curious to see where Michael Porter at the four fills into all of this. Because if that happens, you you reduce the minutes for a Jeff Green or a Jermichael Green, who I think both expect to play about 20 minutes or more and probably are good enough to play 20 minutes or more. So if you slide Michael Porter down there, it cuts into those minutes. But um, outside of that, I think that that's where it goes. And then P.J. Dozier off the bench as the backup small forward. And he's been fantastic, and both when he was healthy last year and in the preseason so far. I guess the other question would be if you're playing MPJ at the four, like they don't have a lot of as deep as this roster as true wings. It's like Dozier yeah. and then Michael Porter Jr. And that, but you know, yeah. really might be it. And so that's if you move him to the four, you kind of have to fill those minutes with you mentioned Barton at the three, or are you playing Austin Rivers up at the three or something like that. Michael Malone last year played PJ Dozier at four more than you would think. I mean, he that was like not a lineup he was afraid to go to. And maybe some of that was injuries. But I, I don't know. But I, so playing him as a small forward I, almost feels natural now. It's like it, it's his second biggest lineup he's used, he's been to. So He's probably more of a traditional two. He plays three primarily for the Nuggets, and he's even played four in the past. So I, I could see Michael Malone going to lineups like that again that get Michael Porter at the four. So, Nikola Jokic. Well, actually, no, let me ask you this question first. Between Zeke Naji, um, Chanchar, and then uh, Bol Bol, if there was one of those guys that played like a yeah. semi-meaningful role in this team this season, who would you guess that, that it would be? That's such a hard question. Um, I think Vladko Chanchar is by is far and away the most reliable player there. He's the highest floor, lowest ceiling by by a mile. In fact, those two things are almost touching. Um, he's going to give you you know low mistakes. He'll probably knock down thirty five percent of his wide open you know his open three pointers. He'll rebound a little bit. Um, so I think it's him, just because of if you're talking about a guy that sneaks in because somebody's hurt you're probably going with a guy who's not going to stick out for any bad reasons. He's not going to stick out for any good reasons, but he's not going to stick out for any bad reasons. And in fact, Denver has done that over the last two years. One of their most memorable regular season games over the last two years, we refer to it as the seven when they went into Utah with just seven healthy players. Vlaco was one of them and they beat Utah in large part because he did everything he's supposed to cut, defend, rotate, all that stuff. So I think he's the guy that most likely to play Zeke Naji had so much momentum coming into the summer. So much momentum, 40.5% from three, uh defends really really well you thought okay there's something to this guy he couldn't have had a worse summer league and preseason so much so that if you asked me this you know four months ago i would have said i would seek naji by a mile mm -hmm. it's his spot to lose i think he lost it <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how poorly things have gone so um i, I would probably put him and bowl deep behind vladko chanchar just in that at the moment I mean, everybody kind of knows Bowl Bowl. He does some awesome things. The highlight reels are great, but he makes a mistake every third possession. And, and so the, the, how mistake-prone Zeke Naji and Bowl Bowl have been, I've got to think Michael Malone has them sort of at the back end of that rotation. I'm not one to bang the this superstar is underrated or underappreciated drum, but after winning MVP, is Nikola Jokic being – like underrated in this season's potential to, to repeat as MVP when the names are mentioned, I don't feel like I'm reading or hearing a lot about his potential to win a consecutive award. I think the only reason it's not underrated is because 
let's be honest. The MVP is a narrative award. We learned this. There was never a year this was more true than last year. When you just saw how people were talking about it, it was never about the merits. It was always like, well, this guy's heard, that guy's heard. I don't know. What's, what's the story we can conjure up? And look, Jokic was swept last year. Was it, uh, should it have been expected that a very good and healthy Phoenix Suns team beat a very banged up and, and unhealthy Nuggets team? It probably should have been accept, ex- expected. Um, I think we should be more looking at the fact that Jokic dragged that team to whatever seed. I can't even remember what were they, a three seed? And then they, and then upset Damian, a, a very healthy and prime Damian Lillard. That should be more the emphasis, but it's not. And to get a back-to-back MVP, it's just, the narrative is going to have to be so overwhelming. Would they have to be a one seed out West? Would he have to average a triple double? Would he have to, I think he's going to put up numbers very similar to the ones that we saw last year, which were historic numbers. And I think Denver has a chance to be a three or four seed. I don't think either of those things make the narrative in his favor, unless they somehow get the one seed or he somehow averages a triple double. Or if the narrative just goes against so many other guys who are also great players and might have a better story on their side, like a Giannis, like a Kevin Durant, um, and maybe even a Luka Doncic. See, I'm just wondering where if Jamal Murray really doesn't return until March, and they're still the three seed then, that's probably a larger narrative bump than he had last season to have right. to lead this team to a three seed without your second best player. But the narrative wasn't with him last year. It was a begrudging MVP. It's, it felt, at least the well, discourse online, I know the voters came from pretty heavily, but I think the the... The fallout from last year is largely, well, he won because everyone else got injured. And I don't think that's fair. I don't even think it's true. I think with everybody healthy, he had a very strong case against LeBron, against Giannis, against any of the other guys that were that were candidates. But I think that's what they're going to look at then to say, oh, are we giving it to him again? It's just, it's just going to be tough, again, unless they're a one seed or or one of those crazy numbers. Like a tri- it's funny. He averaged, what, almost nine assists? So he was so close to a triple-double. He averaged one more assist, and then the narrative comes to him. So I think he's going to be fantastic. Might even be better than last year, honestly. But I just I don't know if voters are going to go for it again. I did love his response to missing training camp about how he knows all the plays. He's not worried yeah. about missing him. He is a he is a treasure. Yeah. Whether it's if you're looking at a specific position or skill set void, what is this team's biggest weakness heading into this season? Man, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I still love their starting lineup. I think it's going to be pretty dynamic. It's going to. They had the second best record in the NBA after Jamal Murray went down. So the, the 20 game stretch, they were fantastic. The second unit is a big mystery to me. And I think that there's a lack of guard play scoring on that second unit. Again, that's why bones has an even better chance than, than mm-hmm. you might think to get in the rotation. Um, but to me, that second unit has got absolutely murdered so far in the preseason um, by everybody. They've looked even worse in the clutch time. And Michael Malone jokes uh, this week about, I'm not closing with my second unit to get into preseason because of it, which is kind of crazy to say for a preseason game. That's kind of how disgusted he was with it. So I would say maybe a little bit of that. Um, I'm curious to see how their defense shakes out without, it's weird to say without Jamal Murray, but if their offense takes a little bit of dip and they're playing in transition, that that could be an issue as well. So I don't know. I guess those two things would be uh, would be what I look at. Defense is a big question mark for me. They did finish 11th um, outside garbage time and points allowed per possession. Is that, do you think they're built to match or exceed that this year? Or should we expect somewhat of a drop off there? Well, one thing that happened last year is they ran out of steam. I mean, that Phoenix Sun, that Phoenix series was a, a lot about them just being exhausted and they pressed down the, Murray got hurt. They rallied around that and played really hard. I think defense for some teams 
is comes easy and you get to be a top five defense because you have the pieces in place. And for some teams, you get to be the 11th defense because you worked, you played playoff intensity all season long and, and, and you wore down because of it. I think Denver's the latter. The question for good defensive teams is, can you defend? I don't, I don't want to say easy, but do you have to play fourth quarter defense for 48 minutes to be good? And I think Denver does. Are they going to do that this year? They lost. Will, Will Barton's been unhealthy three seasons in a row. I yeah. have to think he knows that he needs to pace himself. Jokic played all 72 games. He was very proud of that. I think he also knows how tired he was in the Phoenix series and probably scales back a little bit. Michael Porter's going to play the longest seasons he, he's ever played. So he'll probably scale down a little bit. PJ Dozier's been hurt. Monte Morse has been hurt. So I think those things might lower Denver because it's not easy for them to defend. And I don't know that they're going to sprint through the marathon like they did last year. Your, your thought about the second, you made me think, would there be a chance that maybe they move Will Barton out of the starting lineup to play? I know you can stagger in the starting lineup designation, right. but it does get a little bit easier if he's with the bench. If he's healthy, it feels like he could sort of be the engine of that offense. Is that something that they might right. consider? Or you just think he's penciled in as a starter? I think it's absolutely something they could consider. Um, I don't know if they'll do it. The reason being, you know, it was important to Will Barton for the last few years that he start. And is it worth it if you, if you ruffle some feathers? I mean, look, he's good enough to start. He's one of the five best players. He's the best shooting guard, so you slot him in there. But is it worth it to try to move him over there? Even if it's better for the team slightly, does it upset him in a way that, that ruins some of the juju? I don't know. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that to happen. Other than maybe it happens in a playoff series, like that maybe there's a playoff series where that's the counter move or or, some, or this or that. But the first unit has been so good together for three seasons with Will Barton, and he's one of the control pieces there. You take him out, and the numbers kind of change. But you put him in there. The first unit's been great, and I think they're going to stay with that sledgehammer first unit. And the second unit might might have to figure things out as they go. And do you think Jokic's workload is like at the forefront of what this team is thinking about, given he plays almost 35 minutes per game last year, like you said, didn't miss a game, hasn't really missed that many games throughout his entire career. Um, is that something they're thinking about? Or is it just he's 26, he'll be fine. He dictates the pace at which we play a lot of the times too. So it doesn't have to be that large, large of a concern. Well, one of the things that happened last year down the stretch after Murray went down, but also especially in that Phoenix series was they didn't have another entry point for the offense. Usually it's Murray, so there's plays, and we know this from watching LeBron even in his prime. One of the values of a Dwayne Wade or a Kyrie Irving was LeBron got to play, take off 10 possessions a game where he just got to say, hey, you do this. Let me catch my breath. I'm a little tired. You do this. I'm going to take this one off. Yoke didn't get any of those because they, you, know, you don't give Michael Porter the keys and say just make something out of nothing. You did do that with Jamal and with Will Barton, both of whom missed the playoffs for the most part. So I, I think this year that's got to be one of the things on Michael Malone's mind of, where does offense come from with Yoke on the court once or twice a stint where he gets to just kind of be in the corner or be at the top of the key and, and take a possession off. Um, and that alone should hopefully allow him to play like he normally does, which to your point, he plays at a very nice slow pace and, and he paces himself throughout the game, but you still need that guy to take the burden for him. And I'm not sure where that's coming from this year. If you're looking at this roster and this is something that can clearly change the season goes on, but as of right now, who would be the player most likely to get dealt before the deadline? I've been thinking about this one a lot and it's a little crazy. I think there might be a world in which Monte Morris gets moved for them. And you look at it and you say, when they're, they're fully healthy, Jamal Murray's the starter. Okay. Now you have a backup and you have Monte Morris. You've got, uh, uh, Bones Highland and you've got PJ Dozier, all of guys who can sort of handle being lead or secondary uh, playmakers. 
Monte Morris in that equation, does it mean Faku's not playing? Does it mean uh, Dozier's not playing? Does it mean Bones isn't playing? I look at his contract and I look at Denver's the, I'm very high on PJ Dozier. I think he provides something for Denver that nobody else on the roster does. Lang, he's six, seven. He's a great defender. He can play pick and roll. I look at him and think he's up for an extension. Denver's already so high over the luxury tax. Mm -hmm. Could you get an extension worked out for PJ Dozier here in the next week that allowed, you know, maybe it's not as high as Monte Morris, but then you have the plan of trading a Monte Morris and relieving some of that uh, future salary and is, does he become redundant enough that, okay, you, you, you can move on from him? And what does that look like? I mean, Monte Morris makes a lot of money. You're probably trading him away, but not trying to get back like equal value. You're trying to get back maybe an asset, regain a first-round draft pick, uh, something like that. I, I just think it's a little more likely. I haven't seen anybody discuss this. The team certainly hasn't discussed it. But I think <laughs> it, to, me, to me, it makes a little bit of sense that, hey, he might be a guy that's expendable. I guess a lot of that will like depends on how well Bones looks as a rookie, and then what you're expect yep. like if and when you're expecting Jamal to come back this season. Yep. But that, that's a I didn't even really think about that, so that's a that's a great way to frame it. Uh, this could be for them to some extent matchup dependent, but what do you think sh will be or should be their their go to crunch time lineup? Is it just going to be the the starters? I think so. You're talking about Monte and and Will Barton alongside Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic. That's probably it more often than not. That's probably the default one. When Murray comes back, of course, Murray slides into that slot. The guy, though, that to me may, is most intriguing to fill one of the guard spots is P.J. Dozier. If, De if Denver's up, say, 10 points with seven minutes to go, I wouldn't be surprised if Dozier was the guy you throw in there. You think our offense might not be great, but the numbers with Dozier on the court defensively have been fantastic. You put Dozier and Aaron Gordon on the court, and you sort of have – a defender at the guard spot, a defender at the forward spot. And it, and it just elevates your defense so much. And even the numbers with Dozier and Jokic defensively have been fantastic. I think best two man pairing alongside Jokic on the team. So he's the guy that I think you would slot in and maybe it's alongside Monte or I mean, yeah, alongside Monte, maybe it's alongside Will Barton. I'm not sure. Can Barton become a little bit more of a point guard in the final five minutes? I think he has it in him. Um, but Dozier would be the guy I'm most interested in. And think about this, Dan. Dozier's six seven. Will Barton six seven. If your backcourt is two six seven guys to go with six eleven, six nine, and seven foot, that's a really really long and athletic lineup. That might you might make up for whatever shooting and and point guard play you get from Monte Morris. Is there a quirky outside the box, out of left field lineup you want to see Michael Malone try this season? Anything with bones is just pure adrenaline. If you, if, if, you, if, you, if you talked about the most fun lineup you can throw out on the court with the Nuggets, you do that exact lineup you just talked about, but swap Monte and Dozier. You swap those guys out with Bones Highland, and now you're talking about, I don't know who that defends in a clutch time lineup, but boy, do they score every single time down court. You're talking about Bones Highland, I think, is a you know a 40% volume three-point shooter. It has that, has that in him. Will Barton's probably a 38% three-point shooter. Michael Porter's like a 45% three-point shooter. We all know what Jokic does. To me, that's the lineup that if it's on the court, you're talking, it's not quite a death lineup because it can't defend. But offensively, it's one of those ones where it's like, we're getting in a track meet and I think we're going to win this track meet every time. The only other guy I would look at is anything with Bull Bull is, is I, I think other people find it more fun than I do. <laughs> Maybe I'm just becoming a little crotchety because he makes so many mistakes. But nonetheless, if you can throw a Michael Porter Bull uh, Bull uh, out there with Jokic, that's three guys nobody knows what to do with physically or skill set wise, and, and those lineups become really fun. I would love to see in and 
I, I'll cap the caveat is this: every lineup is less fun without Nikola Jokic. But if Nikola Jokic is yep. catching a breather, I want to see Gordon, Jermichael Green, Michael Porter Jr., PJ Dozier, and then Bones just at the one. Like put him next to like all those kind of biggest wing type players and and see what happens. Um, but I'm with you. Watching him is just like an acid trip right now. It's so fun. <laughs> it really is, man. I mean, and I think this might be who he is. He has a very I don't know if this week makes sense. He has a charismatic style. It's just, it's, it's, he's just fun to watch do his thing. And it's just like the sidestep. I don't remember who they were playing, but the sidestep three, he hit this preseason, just like so nonchalantly, just so like calm and collected on that. I'm just, I was sold already, but I'm just, I'm sold. I hope he's a part of their rotation. (laughs) Me too. Uh, Their their current win total as we record this over under is set at 47.5. Would you take the over or under on that? And where do you see them falling in that larger Western conference discussion? Uh, I would take the over. I've taken the over every year for seven years, and I think I'm seven and zero oh, uh, for whatever oh, wow. reason. The Nuggets always get this like, uh, uh, you know, their their over under gets a little depressed. Um, I don't know that's going to be massively o- over. I, I could see them having a forty nine fifty win season. I could see them having a fifty three fifty four win season. I just don't think it's that likely. But I think I think that they're going to surprise people. I mean, again, Murray went. Murray raises their ceiling to title contender. Without him, they're not that this year, and I don't know if they will be going forward. But he doesn't necessarily lower their floor so much. I don't think. And that's the thing that happened last year after he went down, they still had the second best rank. I think only the Brooklyn nets had a better 20 game stretch to end the season than the nuggets did. And while I don't think they're going to repeat that, have the second best record in the NBA. I do think they're going to surprise people with just how much they don't skip a beat without him outside of the final three, four minutes of a game. But how often does, you know, how much does that lower their projected win total? If they had Murray, maybe by three or four games, but not by, not by eight or nine. I'm with you. I would take the over on this too. Although when I go through all these team look heads that I'm doing, I've been quite generous with my over predictions. I might need right. to, to right. correct some of them. Uh, they, they're all going to come from the Pelicans. That's what it is. We're just take off 20 wins from the Pelicans uh, fire that's going on right now and disperse them. What do you see? What do you see there? You've already mentioned that you don't think they're a title contender without Murray. What do you see their ceiling as in the West? Because I think I would put Utah the Lakers and Phoenix as the teams that are definitively ahead of them. But after that, and it wouldn't surprise me, by the way, if Denver was like top three, if you told me Denver was two in the West this season, I wouldn't be that shocked. You tell me they're one. It wouldn't necessarily floor me. It feels like they might still be the best of the rest. Even if you're, you know, Portland golden state is there. The Clippers are missing Kawhi. It seems like to me, they're like very clearly in like the four or five range. And to me, like I even see fifth is like, might be their floor actually. Mm, Interesting. There's a lot of teams that are jumbled up and the over-unders kind of bear this out that Portland, Golden State, Denver, they're all within Dallas. They're all within like two wins. So I, I think there's reason to think that anything could happen with all of those teams. But if you ask me regular season, I think Utah and Phoenix are clearly one, two. I, I'm surprised so many people are so high on the Lakers. I, I don't know. I'm just defaulting to LeBron I existing. Yeah. I don't like. I don't love the fit, but that's just my default at this point. But they're another team that I wonder how hard they sprint. I think last year LeBron wanted an MVP. And it might have cost it, I'm not saying it costed the season. A lot of things went wrong for him last year. But I do wonder if he looks at that and goes, why was I playing so many minutes in January and February trying to gun for this dumb MVP award when it, I had no chance in the playoffs? So I wonder if the, it, and also I think they're going to have to work harder than they have in the past to get wins and to figure this out early. So I don't, I, I just don't pencil them into that top group. If you ask me about the playoffs though, the Lakers still with having Anthony Davis, the ability to play him at center and Dwight Howard, who's given Jokic problems like that's still a matchup. I don't like for Denver. 
uh, Phoenix and Utah being healthy and presumably going, if they're healthy going into the playoffs, it's hard for me to picture Jamal Murray being good enough to beat them, you know, if he's only back for five weeks or so. So that makes all sense to me. I, I would jumble them in the exact same spot. Um, but it all, the thing that makes this hard, this year hard to predict for the Nuggets is who knows what Jamal Murray looks like when he comes back. Who knows? I mean, right. any, anything I would predict going into a playoffs is solely based on something I have absolutely. History tells me he's probably not going to be great, which tells me the Nuggets are probably going to be good, but not great. But if he is 90% of himself, then they have a puncher's chance for sure. And maybe even better than that. I am. I don't know if the word's excited. I was worried that maybe there was a chance we wouldn't get to see like the five man core of this team that made so much sense and signing the Gordon extension and Michael Porter Jr. was never leaving like the restricted free agency and all that. It right. does seem like unless something seismic happens, like we will at least get to see this baseline of them moving forward beyond this season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, one of Denver could do a couple things that would really set them up for future success, even this year. And the, the number one thing they can do is figure out a better synergy between Jokic and Michael Porter. To this date, Jokic and Jamal Murray, some of the best chemistry, probably the best chemistry in the NBA, one, two. Not the most talented or, or, or whatever, but the, probably just they, those two guys have shared. They operate on one wavelength. One, one wavelength, and it's incredible to watch at its best. Michael Porter just kind of fits. He's so talented. He just kind of fits in around it. Is there something you can go to? Jokic was actually asked about this yesterday. I was there at the practice for this, and he said, I have no idea what Michael Porter and I are going to do in the closing minutes of a game. Like we'll have to all find out together, like what, <laughs> what that looks like. And it's just such a Jokic answer when someone's asked, like, are you going to, you guys going to become a chemistry? He's like, I don't know, maybe we're going to try. And, and that's one of the big questions around him. If they do develop some type of like action or chemistry with each other, then Denver ceiling goes up, not just this year, but it goes up going forward. If you have chemistry between Jokic and Murray and Jokic and Michael Porter, good luck trying to guard that even in the clutch time. But if they don't, then, you know, maybe things get a little bit clunky without Jamal until Jamal is back to full health. Is there anyone on this team or anything about this team that I didn't ask you about you think needs to be discussed? The only thing I mentioned it, I'm really high on P.J. Dozier. I'm driving the P.J. Dozier bandwagon this year. I, I just Injuries are a big question with him. He had some, I, I think he's one of those guys that's missing a bunch of cartilage in the knees and, 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 oh, good. and those types of things. So you always kind of... I think that's one of the reasons team he hasn't quite latched on is I think teams are maybe afraid to like commit to him long-term because you never know if a guy's going to be there or not. Um, but he's just such a good player and, and a good player in the way Aaron Gordon is that his skill set fits very nicely into what Denver does. If you look at a, a lineup that has Murray, a healthy Murray, a Michael Porter and Jokic, it almost doesn't matter who you put around him offensively. That's going to be a good offense. So you need some great defense and you need guys on offense that aren't going to be total anchors. And he's, he's that he can run pick and roll. He could pass really well. He can get to the rim. And then defensively, he's so long. He's so dialed in. He's a very good uh, off ball guy. He's a very good on ball guy. So to me, I just see a world in which he has a bit of a breakout year. In fact, it's not a world. I, this is my prediction is he has something of a, the numbers aren't going to pop. So it's hard to say breakout year, but I, I think he might be a guy that just fits so perfectly into what Denver needs. And, and that might really shine through as the season goes on. Denver's ability to just find talent on the margins might be unparalleled relative to every under team in the league right now. And part of that is the, the Bones Highland stuff right now. I know it's you right. know, summer league yeah. and preseason, but like you, to get him in the late twenties is just, they found so many guys. I mean, even like Kenrich Williams and, and Terrence Davis and Torrey Craig, like the, not star players, but these guys who are really good are guys Denver added that were undrafted and, 
they just didn't have a spot for him. Like, yeah, we'd love to have Terrence Davis. We don't have any roster spots to give him. So the Denver's done such a good job of this and PJ Dozier fits, but I have a theory for it, Dan. This is a thing I've learned from seven years of doing this. No GM and no organization is willing to take risks that might not pay off until guys are fired. And this has been Denver's MO. Yes, we'll draft uh, Michael Porter Jr., even though we know he needs a second back surgery. And even though we know he's not going to be on the court for a year and probably takes two more years of development, we'll do it. And Tim Conley has just been, for whatever reason, he has it in him that he's like, yeah, I might be fired by the time this thing is ready, but it's, it's going to be cool if it works out. And they've just done that over and over. I mean, Malik Beasley, they drafted, he had a broken leg, couldn't play. Uh, they've done this so many times where they've drafted guys where the payoff, if it hit, the payoff was going to be so delayed. And just watching how teams team build right now, guys don't like one-year projects, let alone two- or three-year projects. Denver has taken advantage of that. I think at this point, uh, Denver's front office has probably built up enough goodwill to where they should be <laughs> trusted when they when they make those right. decisions. Right. Uh, Adam, this was great as always. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Are you able to just tell our listeners where they can follow you and, and all the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm sure the description will be there, Adam Matas. But you, uh, the number one thing we do at DNVR that I think people find cool, they they haven't seen it. We do post game shows for every show. So on YouTube, right after the game, we do a really cool live post game right from our bar. We own a DNVR, also owns a bar, and the studios are right there in it. And it's just a a very unique way of of covering a team so if you're ever watching the nuggets and and enjoyed the game flip on over to youtube and search for dnvr nuggets and and i i think you'll enjoy what you see and i'll just echo follow him on twitter at adam underscore matas that's at adam underscore m-a-r-e-s once more this was great adam thank you so much for coming on to speak with me and i think you know by now that i will be pestering you again in the future can't wait for it dan thanks so much